Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it. for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high it up, long it up. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Hunter Burr. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pegnata, with you guys, as always. And we are a week away from the start of the Tar Heels 2023 season in Charlotte against the South Carolina Gamecocks. And there are a ton of storylines that are currently surrounding this team. Uh, you got, you know, the situation with Tez Walker. You've got the injury issues that the Tar Heels have, especially in the secondary and plenty more, and uh, we have to go back to one of our favorites here on the show. We love it every time this guy comes on, and we hope you do too. Our guy, Michael Coe from WCHL Chapelboro. Uh, and, buddy, this is, uh, you know, it's it's a weird spot to, to be in, I think, a week out, um, you know, feeling as nervous as, as I think I, my, I and most Toriel fans feel because, you know, we've, we've got this – situation going on with Tez Walker we've got the injury issues you know it, it it's supposed to be a time to be excited about this team but I feel like a lot of Tar Heel fans are really nervous about what this could actually look like when the team takes the field in in, in seven days yeah there, there's a lot of uncertainty going on and uh you know you mentioned being a week out it, it's it's funny Anthony to remember that Last year at this time, it was game day for Carolina because they were playing in week zero against Florida A&M, uh, mm-hmm. although no one knew if Florida A&M would show up until the day of the game. But it, it's just uh, – it's funny to think about that because I, I think if UNC, if UNC were scheduled in week zero now and were scheduled to play South Carolina today, everyone would be thinking, well, I don't know if they're, they're ready or not. Um, certainly helps to play an FCS team in week zero, a lot less uh, anxiety inducing than playing an SEC team in Charlotte on Mm -hmm. college game day. Um, But you are right about a lot of things being up in the air. Um, I will say with the test situation, you know, if there were a position on the field where they had someone who might not play in a big game, 
I think wide receiver is one of the positions where they are best equipped to fill in that void because they have a lot of good players in that position. Maybe no one, maybe not someone who can duplicate the attacking abilities that Tez gives you, that sort of vertical threat. Uh, mm-hmm. But they have a lot of guys sort of stepping in to fill that Josh Downs role. Kobe Pesor, who did it when Josh was injured last season. Nate McCollum from Georgia Tech. Uh, but you also have guys who have shown flashes in the past that they could be that vertical threat. Gavin Blackwell. Uh, could this be the year that J.J. Jones makes the leap, the the junior from Myrtle Beach? So, yeah, they've got a lot of guys who are still capable wide receivers. Obviously, it would help to have Tez out there because it seems like he and Drake have really formed some good chemistry in camp. But uh, I, I will say I don't think it's the end of the world if Tez doesn't play. It won't help but it's not going to kill their chances. They'll still have a chance to win. Yeah, not many guys can run 23 miles an hour. That's for right. sure, uh, like he did last year. But you're right. I mean, there are some other guys in that room that I think you can feel pretty confident with. It also is very encouraging that we're hearing, you know, her back in the spring about Christian Hamilton flashing. Mac Brown mm-hmm. talked about him a little bit uh, in the fall when he updated us, uh, you know, probably about a week ago now. And then, um, you know, also – Chris Culliver is a guy that comes right. in. He did that in high school. Um, I likened him, as Mac Brown did to Tez Walker, uh, I, I likened him to Deami Brown coming out. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's one where he's probably not going to have that effect in week one. But maybe down the line, if you don't have Tez Walker, that could be a guy that emerges too. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm not – you know, super concerned about that. I know there are a lot of people that say, look, that mean that that pretty much determines the direction of the of the season for the Tar Heels. And I'm like, I I, I get that he's a a preseason all conference player, but if there's a position I'm not questioning, it's it's wide receiver and what Lonnie Galloway's doing. Now, I think the big question is, and you, you know, were there for the press conferences that they had the other day with the position coaches. And you were around the team, you know, what, what is the feeling from everyone around the team? Like, is there still a sense of confidence that this thing with Tez Walker is going to get worked out before the season starts? Yeah. I mean, Mac and Lonnie certainly give that impression. Of course, they're not in contact with the NCAA. Mac Brown has made that abundantly clear that he does not hear from them and they don't really hear from him. Um, Lonnie Galloway, uh, to his credit, earlier in the month when they announced the Tez news, he said, you know, we're still running him out there with the blue team, the starters, and we're still preparing as if he is going to play. Um, that is certainly a high-risk, high-reward play by Carolina, and it's looking more and more high-risk the longer we go without hearing anything from the NCAA about Tez. But, I, I mean, I think just doing that is a show of, hey, we think this decision is wrong, and maybe it factors into their appeal process. It certainly helps that everyone from around the country, basically, uh, with the exception of uh, some fans in Columbia and Raleigh are saying, you know, hey, (laughs) this is the wrong decision. Uh, And even some fans in Columbia, to their credit, the more Mm level-headed South Carolina fans have said, you know, just let the kid play. Um, Not sure about the guys in Raleigh, though. So uh, we'll see about that. But um, Well, there are not many level-headed folks in Raleigh, so. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. But yeah, there definitely is a a projection of confidence that, you know, justice will win out in the end. I don't know if that's too high high and mighty for for this situation because it is only a football game. Uh, Mm -hmm. But yeah, they they do seem confident that they're going to get their way.
Carolina does. Well, I, that's the good thing. And I think the other thing that they've kind of got in their favor, um, and, you know, I, I would personally like to see, and I, I don't know if you can speak to this, but are they are they starting to sort of rotate Tez out a little bit more and use J.J. Jones with the blue team or whoever else they're looking at to take over his spot? Or are they still pretty much just rolling with Tez Walker playing almost primarily with the blue team? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I haven't been able to to see any of their practices lately. I know yeah, pretty yeah. much as much as as you would uh, when it comes to you know what personnel they're running out there. I know that in the videos they post, you see Tez catching balls from Drake, which would seem mm-hmm. to indicate that he's running with the blue team. Um, Nate McCollum has done a lot of running with the blue team. Gavin Blackwell has done a lot of running with the blue team from what I have seen. Of course, that was almost a month ago now. Uh, but it seems like Blackwell might be that guy if Tez can't play that would step up and into that vertical threat role. Uh, yeah, I mean that's and that's the the thing about how you know limited uh, it is now with with people getting looks in practice. So yeah, I mean I think the one thing that they've got going for him is that JJ Jones was a starter for every game last season, so he's already mm-hmm. got that connection with Drake May. So maybe that's how they're looking at it. Yeah. I, maybe that is. Um, let, let's talk about the other situation though. And this one, you guys, you guys were able to ask about this because Charlton Warren did speak with the media. Um, this defensive backfield is just, I, I mean, they are beat down right now. There are mm-hmm. so many guys in that room, um, that are beat up and, and it, and it, it sucks because it really felt like this was a unit, you know, when we were going through and previewing this group the other day, me and my co-host Josh Marlowe. We're looking and we're like, the names here really show you that you've got some good depth. You've got a lot mm-hmm. of experience and everything like that. But, Michael, there's so many guys that are injured right now in this secondary. How concerned are you about how many different injuries this group is dealing with right now? Yeah, I think the the most concerning thing about this is that the three big names that have been injured, that is Will Hardy, DeAndre Boykins, and Stick Lane, they all play the same position. Um, it would be one thing if it was, you know, a corner, a nickel, and a safety or something. But that's your three – you would think your three top safeties going into this year, really the only person you're left with is Don Chapman, who's in his last year of eligibility. And Don's a good player, but he can't do it all by himself. So it may be a situation where they have to move a corner to safety. And that just that brings up a whole, you know, another can of worms, basically, because now you have a guy playing in an unfamiliar position against a really good quarterback and wide receiver room in South Carolina. Um, And that also takes a cornerback away who might be able to cover Juice Wells. Uh, So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of tinkering. Um, The coaches have been very sort of deflecting when asking about Hardy and Boykins status like well you know that's a question for the team doctors um so you know we'll see what they say on game week I I wouldn't be surprised if they kept it close to the chest uh until 7 30 on Saturday night um you know a because they enjoy torturing us and b because you know they want to keep <laughs> South Carolina in the dark a little bit too as to who's playing yep. and who's not. so uh yeah, it's definitely a big question. Uh, if all three of those guys are missing, it that's definitely a concern. Yeah, well, that and that's the thing that I'm I'm hoping is that hey, they're sitting out certain guys so that basically they can have them ready for the opener. Now, the concern is that you know you look at some of these guys, especially Stick Lane. Stick Lane's a guy that 
mean, he did not come in until the summer because of when he made his transfer commitment. Um, and now, I mean, he, he's practiced, what, maybe a week? I mean, he mm-hmm. was out there for the first week of practice. He got banged up pretty early. And we haven't really, as far as we know, he has not been out there since. So how impactful is he really going to be able to be for you? I know right. that he, you know, was able to create turnovers. He played the safety spot. He played the nickel spot for you. Um, you know, I, I, I just, th- this is what is just so frustrating because it feels like this is the unit. And, and of course, of course, Gene Chizik said when he spoke to the media earlier in fall camp that this unit is, is going to, the defensive side of the ball, that is, is really going to go as the secondary goes. Well, right. Gene, I really hope that's not the case. <laughs> Let's hope that D-line can step up in this yeah. game. Um, But, I mean, like, the, right now, the nickel spot is probably, like, that's got to be the, the biggest concern for me because you got Boykins, who started there last year, who's out, mm. um, as far as we know. Lane was supposed to be his backup there. I mean, Michael, we've seen this before where they've had guys that have converted from the offensive side of the ball to play on defense, oddly enough, against South Carolina back right. in 2019 <laughs> with Jad Surratt. Yeah. Is there a chance that DJ Jones is going to be playing or maybe even starting in this game against South Carolina? Yeah, I mean, you know, the best available or the, the best ability is availability. And right now, DJ Jones is available pretty much by default. Um, it, it would be an awkward position for him to be in because, like I said, this is a very talented offense that the Gamecocks have, and you're throwing him into the deep end and telling him to swim. Um, and, you know, may, hey, it worked out <clears throat> worked out the first time when, when Chaz played linebacker. They won that game. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, – I would – I'm fascinated to see how DJ looks. You know, maybe he is forced to be the starter because – when you you think about running back and safety, they have entirely different skill sets. Really, the only crossover is being able to run fast. Um, so yeah, DJ he may end up, if not starting, then seeing some critical snaps and some big time big time plays. Which uh, I mean, I I have confidence in the coach's ability to mold DJ into a a good safety, like a a decent safety. But this is a those would be a heck of a first test for him. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure the Tariel fan base will take that one. Uh, they will definitely take a, a mindset of, hey, there's a chance that he could succeed going in. I'm sure there wouldn't be panic. Um, <laughs> now, we we heard from uh, Larry Porter the other day as well, talking about the running back room. Let's talk about a little more, you know, positive things here. Mm-hmm. You know, he talked about that group again. I mean, Mac has these dudes coached up because he didn't really give us anything about. I, I believe there was actually a question at one point about what the room would look like right now in terms of the depth, who was the number one and everything. And he just did not give us anything. Yeah. So from your perspective, you know, just knowing what you know about the guys in that room, what do you think this group looks like heading into that first game against the Gamecocks? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's tough, but I think you would have a really hard time taking the ball from Elijah Green after he stepped in basically as the fourth string and became the starting running back at toward the tail end of last year. And he did a serviceable job. Uh, you know, a lot of those runs where he got stuffed in the line weren't his fault. You know, that was the offensive line. But yeah, Elijah, he's a, he's a favorite of the coaches. Mac absolutely loves the kid because 
he does, you know, whatever the coaches ask without complaining. He's good in the classroom. He's good in the community. So he checks all the boxes to use a Hubert Davisism. Um, I, I think it would be tough to take the ball from him. And then I think you would probably see Omari on Hampton as the number two guy because he just has that raw ability that sometimes you can't coach. Um, George Pedway, they have mentioned using as a slot receiver. So they might, that might just be another way to get him some snaps and, you know, keep him from the transfer portal to, to sort of spoil an open secret. Um, but yeah, you know, British Brooks will see time on special teams. He's a special teams captain and he has earned that time. So that leaves some of, you know, Caleb Hood is one of the odd guys out and, you know, he's had flashes, but he also has a pretty bad injury, his injury history. So yeah, I would Mm -hmm. think Elijah Green and Omari on Hampton would be the top two guys right now. This is of course, just my educated guess though. It will probably be something completely different. Well, yeah, I mean, the one thing that I wonder is, I mean, they have been talking so much about British Brooks. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think that at this point, you know, I, I was kind of where you were at heading into fall camp. I really thought, okay, th- this is probably going to be green and Hampton, especially since they were available. They weren't limited, you know, like Brooks was during spring practice. But as I've, you know, hear, heard it going forward, you know, going throughout fall, I, I really thought to myself, is there a chance that British Brooks is the guy in there? We've heard a lot about Amari and Hampton and how much he has improved. I, I I'm with you. I don't know how you take away snaps from Elijah Green after what he did last year. But, I mean, yeah, this is this is the conundrum that they have to deal with with all these great guys in that mm-hmm. backfield. Um, I think you're right, and I said this even before we got into fall camp. I hate it, especially since he is the son of uh, a guy that, you know, played cornerback for Carolina and his brother plays there. I think Caleb Hood's probably the odd man out. Yeah. Um, and the thing with him, you almost wonder, I mean, we're talking about all the injuries in the secondary. Uh, it, many people may not remember this, but he was actually at a time being recruited by Carolina to play safety. That's right. Caleb Hood was. So maybe there's a chance that they look at him there. I, I don't know. Um, now, the the other coach that we heard from, Randy Clements, uh, he didn't really give a whole lot either. Uh, again, right. Mac Brown is doing a great job. They, they, they did not show this in all access, but he must be coaching <laughs> these dudes up. Somewhere. Oh, yes. oh um, yes. <laughs> But I, the one thing that he did say that was very interesting was he said that he would give William Barnes an A-plus grade at, with what he's doing at left tackle. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this is just, you know, protecting your guy, whatever it is. The reason I say this is because William Barnes met with the media and said that there have been, you know, some some learning moments for him. Um, so, I, I mean, what do we make of those comments? Like, I, I guess I guess maybe a player is going to be harsher on himself than sure. uh, than a coach is going to be. A coach may also be a little more complimentary of a guy mm-hmm. um, to try to protect him. But, I mean, what do we make of that? Because that's a crucial position for the Tar Heels along that offensive line that has to be really just more consistent even than it was a year ago because Awesome Richard started the year great and faded down the stretch. So what do you make of that? Yeah, protecting Drake May's blindside, no pressure, right? Um, (laughs) I think it may – it's almost kind of like a personality test for the two guys. You know, it it may be, like you said, that William Barnes is going to be just a little more critical of himself because that's just who he is. You know, Randy 
Clements, the offensive line coach of Carolina, he's a pretty quiet dude. And just from my impressions of him, he's pretty soft spoken with us. I assume not with his players. I'm sure he's, he's pretty hard on his players. Um, mm-hmm. But he, he called spades spades during his brief press avail- availability with us. He said, you know, there are still some learning moments and, you know, we're not quite there yet, but it's a work in progress. And, and then for him to turn around and say, well, William Barnes is getting an A+, that was surprising to me too, Anthony. And uh, maybe it's maybe it's a picture of something that we haven't quite seen yet. Maybe William Barnes really is making mm-hmm. great strides in this position. Um, because Clements, he, he seems like a guy who will be honest with you and honest with us. So I, I don't – it is an interesting dichotomy. But, you know, if he's confident in William Barnes, then that's that's a good sign. Because he knows what he's doing. Yeah. I mean, that's it, – it's weird because I, I want to feel that way too. But the thing that I think sticks with me more than anything, and maybe they're not talking about the left tackle spot. Maybe they're not. Um, when when Mac Brown – and then, as you said, Randy Clemens sort of hints at it as well, that there are struggles along that offensive line. It's just – that that is a nightmare scenario. <laughs> because I think at this point – Right, like we we've gotten to the point with the defense where like if they struggle, that this is nothing new. Like right. Carolina <laughs> fans are just going to be like, all right, wh- whatever. We've got an offense that we hope can move the ball up and down the field. Right, but I think if they can't protect Drake May, we saw it at the end of last year. Like this dude, that's that's the one area I think that Sam Howell, if you're talking about these two quarterbacks, the the area that he would have Drake May be is that Sam Howell could pretty much turn into a completely different type of quarterback when he Mm -hmm. was under pressure at the college level. I mean, Mm -hmm. what he did his senior or his junior year, his final year at Carolina, he completely changed the way he played. He he became pretty much a running quarterback at times when his offensive line just wasn't able to protect him. Drake just – that's not the way that he's built. He's a Mm -hmm. guy that's going to win games with his arm. So, I mean, I I just – They've got to find a way to protect this dude. And, I, I mean, I feel good about Gaynor. Um, mm. You know, I, I, I'm hopeful that you're going to see something from Willie Lampkin this year, although he is a bit undersized. I just – there's so much uncertainty there, and I'm, I'm hoping that I end up being wrong. I mean, how, how do you feel overall about that? Well, it, it's – the area of concern for me is this that this is an offensive line group that is going through its third coach in three seasons. And mm-hmm. no matter how talented you are, how many stars you had at the has a, had as a prospect, that's going to take a toll eventually. Uh, three different philosophies, three different coaching styles, having to deal with uncertainty pretty much every winter, that that's tough. And we have seen it, like you said, in the past two seasons where Sam Howell and Drake may have had to run for their lives at times. I was looking back at some highlights from the Oregon game uh, at the end of last season. And there were times where Oregon would just immediately be on Drake may as soon as he snap, as soon as he gets the snap. Um, And that's not going to fly this year. Mac Brown has said time and time again, that he's not going to tolerate, you know, being sacked a bunch of times like he has been in his previous four years here. Um, but talk is cheap and, you know, football games are run on the field, not in front of, not behind a podium. So uh, yeah, it's really, it's really a prove it year for these guys. Uh, you know, a lot of them are trying to get drafted. Corey Gaynor in particular, uh, 
this is his last year of college football. And if he can put together some nice tape, then he will probably get drafted because centers are valuable. Uh, you look at other guys like Roland Lampkin there in their last years of eligibility. So yeah, it's, um, it, it's really, I think if I had to point out the one, the biggest area of concern for the Tar Heels, it would be the offensive line, just because we have seen it over and over again, when they go up against a bigger, more physical team, your Notre Dames, your Clemsons, your Oregons, they get manhandled on both sides of the line. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I just have a little more confidence in the defensive line because it seems like the raw talent in that room is maybe on a, on a higher level than that of the O-line. Um, so, yeah, that, that is definitely – I would say that's the area to circle where they may win or lose not only the South Carolina game but plenty more games this season. Couple more questions here with Michael Coe of WCHL Chapelboro. You know, the one area I'm also a little bit concerned about, and, and again, it, it's just like the offensive line, where each and every year we come in and we're hopeful and it ends up letting us down. It's the place kicking game because we've heard that, and, and we heard it from Larry Porter the other day, who is the special teams coordinator, that uh, there is still a battle going on for that kicker job. I think. Everybody thought when they brought in Ryan Coe, no relation, no by the way, I was <laughs> <laughs> um, that you, you're, you were thinking, okay, a guy that had 19, that hit 19 of his 23 field goal attempts from last year was mm-hmm. an all conference kicker. You thought, okay, finally, Carolina's got a guy that they can rely on. Now, you know that, look, we, we saw this with, Grayson Atkins when he came over from Furman that nothing is guaranteed but mm. you were pretty hopeful I'm assuming as a Toriel fan yeah but now we're hearing he's struggling with consistency Noah Burnett's you know going to be battling him down the stretch here mm-hmm. like I think that's the one element because I think the rest of the special teams are great I think George Petaway is probably the best kick returner that they've had since at least Anthony Ratliff Williams I think mm-hmm. he has a chance to be as consistent as TJ Logan was mm-hmm. with it um, I love their their punter situation with Ben Kiernan. I thought he had a really good year last year. He's you know got to be I think a little more strategic about balancing out the distance uh, and the accuracy on some of his stuff to allow his guys to cover a little bit better. But like th- this place kicking thing is just it, it's just maddening because that they are one of the worst teams in all of college football with it these last few years. And hell, two games last year you could chalk up to the special teams really costing them a a chance to win or the victory in the case of the bowl game against Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a tough end of the season for Burnett. He missed kicks in each of the final three games. Now, you know, one field goal wasn't going to make a difference in the Clemson game, but yeah, (laughs) since he stayed in Oregon, those were, you know, Mm -hmm. lose the game kicks. Um, So yeah, it's uh, I think the end of last season overshadowed, what had been actually a pretty strong first 10 or so games for Burnett. He had seemed to be, you know, finding his groove a little bit. I think they sort of knew what his range limitations were and they were able to work around that. And Mac Brown loves going forward on fourth down anyway. So I don't think that was really shaking up his game plan. Um, But yeah, it seemed like it was a lot of mental things in the last three games. Maybe that stems from those, those couple of misses he had against the Wolf pack, which really impacted you know, his kicks against Clemson and Oregon. Now, of course, the field conditions it, at Petco Park in San Diego were an, an entirely different story. Maybe that affected mm-hmm. 
Um, but two, you mentioned Grayson Atkins before. To Atkins' credit, he did have some bumpy games in his in his first season, but then he actually turned into a pretty reliable kicker, kicker his second season. And it's such a shame that Carolina blew that game in Raleigh because if they hadn't, Atkins' long field goal at the end uh, to make that a nine-point deficit with there were about two minutes left would have been remembered as like this great moment in his career. But now it just kind of gets, you know, dumped to the side because we all know what happened at the end of that game. Yep, yep. <laughs> but that, I mean, that's just that's just the transfer portal. You're going to hit on some and you're going to miss on some. And, of course, you know, Ryan Coe could come out and bang through a 54-yarder for the win in Bank of America Stadium. But uh, it seems like if they aren't completely satisfied with Coe, then they'll probably just stick with their known commodity in Burnett and make Co win the job as opposed to Burnett simply losing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, makes sense. I, I mean, I think you're you're probably right. And and that's you know what? That's a really good point that yes, the the end of the season really overshadowed what was a pretty good year for him. Now the the counter argument would be like, look, you had some big moments down the stretch and you weren't able to come through for us, but uh, you're right. I mean, they, he had, you know, big kick against App State early in the year that people mm-hmm. probably won't remember, um, that if you go back and look at the final score, you'll see how impactful <laughs> it really was. Um, and, and I mean, that's the thing. He, he had some moments like that. It's just you, you wanted him to finish strong. But maybe it's it's a similar thing to what we saw from Grayson Atkins. Because you're right, his senior his, – his final year with Carolina – uh, was was really good, and a lot of people I think do kind of sweep that under the rug um, because you know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's special teams. So, yeah. um, and yeah, it wasn't we'll, a good we'll, season we'll, for the team at large either. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely. Yeah, that's the other thing. Now, at, in most people's minds, I don't think anybody actually played well during that 2021 season. <laughs> when that's they went 0 12. None, yes, exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, the last thing I'll ask you, you know, we're a week away from heading to Charlotte. I mean, th- this is one of those games that I, I think for Carolina fans, they knew going in it was going to be a toss-up. When we're yeah. As we're approaching this game, it's no different. Yep. Where do you sit with this game? How, how confident are you that Carolina can find a way to beat South Carolina in this one? Yeah, you know, I'm going in with the expectation that, as usual in Charlotte, when these types of games are played, South Carolina will have the fan advantage just because that's mm-hmm. how the two fan bases are wired. Um, not to, you know, poke fun at UNC fans, but they get outdrawn in their own state pretty regularly by out-of-state programs. Oh, um, I did a whole oh, I did a whole podcast on this. Feel free. Oh yes. <laughs> it, it will it will not be it will not be as dramatic as playing Georgia in the Georgia Dome like they did um in 2016 when Trubisky mm-hmm. was there. Um and I don't think it'll be like a you know 70-30 situation, but it is going to be loud. Uh they are probably going to have to adjust some things because of the crowd noise. College game day is probably going to be a sellout. I don't know if it's sold out. Um, but yeah, you're going as opposed to a lot of their games in the ACC last year. And then this year, you're going up against a team where if you just look at pure talent, it is a push or South Carolina has maybe a slight advantage. They can't just rely on their pure talent to win the ball games like they did last year in a, in a bunch of those games. And sometimes their pure talent didn't win the ball games like against Georgia Tech and NC state. Um, so I think if you had, you know, gun to my head right now, I might give the slight advantage to the Gamecocks, 
because they're coming in with a chip on their shoulder saying, hey, you know, UNC's ranked when we're not ranked. We finished the season a lot better than they did. We beat Notre Dame or we beat Tennessee and Clemson and they didn't beat a single ranked opponent. So I think they do sort of feel feel that, you know, the world is against them or something like that. Uh, when I think a majority of the fans would also pick South Carolina in this matchup. Um I, I think it might come down to one of those things where UNC has to avoid a big sack and they give up a big sack or they have to kick a field goal at the end, which of course, after this kicking discussion, we know it's going to come down to a <laughs> do or die field goal from 48 yards out or something like that. Um, and it, it, again, it'll be a prove it situation for a position group, which has not proven it in a while. Um, so yeah, I think slight advantage to South Carolina, but I do honestly think it is a toss up. I think either team could easily win this game. Yeah. And I think that's kind of how we felt for a while now. And, you know, for Carolina, hopefully, you know, the biggest advantage that they could have is, is the man that's playing quarterback for them. So we'll see. Uh, yeah, man, we are uh, exactly a week away. I know, uh, a ton of fans are excited. Uh, but we are as well. Uh, we, you, trust me, we love the camp stuff. We love the camp storylines. <laughs> but it's it's time to move on and actually play some football. Yeah, um, so it's uh, wild. It feels like the Oregon game was just yesterday. <laughs> ah, yes. Well, the, the, we as we know at this point, if you cover college football in any sort of capacity, college football is a three hundred sixty five day yeah. a year sport. It is it is like Never the NFL sleep. at this point. <laughs> it's it's amazing. So, uh, Michael, you're the best, man. We love having you on. Uh, you're tremendous. Uh, and uh, we know you do a great job covering the team for WCHL Chapel Borough. Um, you know, uh, have fun. I know you guys are having a, a celebration today. Uh, what is it? 70 years of 70 WCHL? years. Yeah. <laughs> so how about that? So, yeah, enjoy yourself out there. Uh, we appreciate your time. All right, man. Yep. Thanks, Anthony. Hey guys, Anthony here. We want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition.